I'm old, not obsolete. Welcome to Arnegeddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we're here this time to take on Terminator Genesis. No, wait. Genesis. Genesis? How do you pronounce that, Tony? Uh, I think we should go back in time, get the first half of that word, and then maybe go forward in time, mm. get the second half of that word, and then come back to the present, which has probably been alterably changed, and pronounce it. Genesis. Ah, perfect. Terminator Genesis from 2015. The first in a trilogy of Terminator movies that were going to take the world by storm. Now, uh, Tony, it's been pretty well known on this podcast. You did not see Terminator Genesis up until tonight. That's right. I missed it in the theater. I can't remember why. I think I was out of the country. And I delayed, and shortly after that delay, uh, we started this podcast, and so I promised you, I, I made a solemn oath that sure. I would not watch this movie, nor would I research this movie, until we recorded this podcast. So I'm curious, though. This movie, yeah, you're out of the country when it is uh, in theaters, fair enough. But, like, as a Terminator fan, Arnold Schwarzenegger fan as well, how were you not, like, rushing to rent it, like, right when you got home or whenever it was available to you? I don't actually remember, to be honest. Uh, I know I had a lot of interest in the movie, but it got really poor reviews, obviously. I think it's like, what, 26% on Rotten Tomatoes or something? Yeah, quite bad. A lot of one out of five reviews, those kind of things. I also had some friends tell me that it was kind of disappointing. So I was going to rent it. I was going to get around to it. And I just never did. And then you and I started talking about doing this podcast and... I decided, well, that would be kind of a fun episode eventually. I thought we were going to do it a lot sooner, actually. <laughs> I've had to hold off watching it. Uh, For like two years or something. <laughs> well, yeah, but we started planning this podcast more than two years ago. So yeah, uh, it's been challenging, but I've managed to do it. At the time when this came out, though, was there maybe a little less of an urge to see it after Salvation? Not at all. Uh, at this point, Arnold Schwarzenegger was back uh, making movies again. Uh, I've always been a big Schwarzenegger fan. I've tried to see everything that he's done as soon as possible, if not opening night, uh, then in theaters, and if not in theaters, then as soon as possible thereafter. Right. So, so I, I did, and I, I honestly I can't tell you why, because I'm a big Terminator fan as well, uh, and somehow it's been lost in my mind about... Uh, why I didn't see it initially, because I've been thinking about seeing it for like three years now. Right. Okay, well, we'll get to your thoughts on it in a minute. Uh, yeah, I saw this in theaters, uh, I guess opening weekend, probably, and um, went with a friend of mine, Tyler, who I co-host the uh, Subspace Transmissions Star Trek podcast with, and I, I remember at the time just not liking it very much at all. Like, I don't think I hated it. It wasn't something like, say, the Fantastic Four reboot, which was like just horrendous to watch. But it was a movie that, like, when I watched it, I was like, this just feels flat. And it had that kind of whiff of desperation, like one of those legacy sequels where they're cramming in a familiar element to basically mine your nostalgia, but not really doing much to advance the conversation, just kind of 
you know, pummeling it with like expensive CG and kind of a hackneyed director. That was kind of how I felt at the time. It genuinely did not connect with me, and I could not have cared less that there was no sequel to it. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I wasn't really alone. Let's get to a few stats on this movie. <laughs> no, you weren't alone. <laughs> this movie was released July 1st, 2015. That was the big, you know, 4th of July weekend at the box office. Mm -hmm. Usually a primo release date for movies. I think there might have been some dinosaurs in the way of this one, wasn't there? Sure there were. Uh, so this movie had a budget of $155 million, which was pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> Very ballsy coming off of Salvation, quite frankly. Well, Arnold was back. I guess so. Um, although, wasn't Arnold in that one? <laughs> sort of. And uh, so, $155 million budget. Domestic, it made $90 million. Yeah, I mean, that's not great. It's not horrible, though. <laughs> it's pretty terrible. But we're in the you know, era of international box But office. it is terrible, because that's their 4th of July release. When you can't get a summer movie over $100 million with a brand name now, that's pathetic. I wouldn't call it pathetic. I think it's borderline pathetic. <laughs> You're harsher than I can. So the foreign money kind of saved it, though. It made $350 million in foreign markets for a worldwide total of $441. <laughs> no, I think that was uh, sabotage. <laughs> yes, uh, four hundred. Sorry about that, Arnold. Four hundred and forty-one million dollars. Yeah, I think that's pretty damn good, isn't it? It's not bad. That's like yeah, Pacific Rim numbers, Ant Man numbers. It's actually kind of surprising they wouldn't have maybe just gone, eh, not great, but maybe we can improve on that with a sequel. Listen, I know that advertising budgets. And uh, product placements and that sort of thing uh, can t eat up a lot of your budget. Production budgets don't always tell the whole story. But I find it hard to believe that somebody wasn't making out like a bandit when they're pulling in $290 million, uh net on it. I mean, maybe, but this movie was a disaster behind the scenes. So I think there was a lot of money being thrown into reshoots and all that sort of stuff. Because like, at the same time they were shooting this movie... They were shooting the Fantastic Four reboot right uh, in the same studio. Unfortunately. Yes, which was a just brutally bad movie. And the uh, some of the crew members on the Fantastic Four set had jackets made that said, at least we're not on Terminator. <laughs> oh man, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so it was not a smooth production, let's just say that. But um, let's just look at the year that was 2015 at the box office, the top 10. So at number one, we had Star Wars The Force Awakens, which made $937 million. Yeah, but you're not going to beat that. No, that's the highest domestic release to date. We thought maybe Avengers would get there with Endgame, but even it didn't hit that number. At number two, you had Jurassic World. Similar kind of <laughs> reboot call as Terminator Genesis. And that made jillions of dollars, too. Embarrassingly. Yeah, that's not a good movie. Uh, it wasn't that bad. It's bad. It's a bad movie. <laughs> it's inferior to Jurassic Park 3, and that's not a good movie. <laughs> Number four, you had Pixar's Inside Out, which is good. Number five, Furious 7. Number six, Minions. Number seven, Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2. Number eight, The Martian. Number nine, Disney's uh, live-action Cinderella remake. And number ten, the James Bond movie, Spectre. A movie people don't like, but I enjoyed. Yeah, so once again, as uh, we've reviewed some of Arnold's newer movies, we see pretty much the top ten again being dominated by sequels, franchise movies, and Disney cartoons. Except for maybe The Martian, I guess. 
Yeah, the Martian really is kind of the lone standout. Um, yeah, it is. And so uh, Terminator Genesis was number 32 for the year, right between the uh, Kevin Hart, Will Ferrell comedy Get Hard, and then it was one spot above Taken 3, which was nobody's favorite Taken movie. Um, some other notable movies released Was this that the year. one where Liam Neeson fought wolves? <laughs> that was The Grey. That movie was great. I love The Grey. I'm just kidding. I know it was The Grey. <laughs> it was great. That was fantastic. And here's some other releases of that year. At number 11, you had Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which is fantastic as well. Yeah, it's a good film. Um, at number 20, you had The Rock, one of the competitors, one of the heirs to the throne, if you will, uh, opening at number 20 with San Andreas. The Earthquake movie. Uh, a lot of people didn't like that movie. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> no one liked it, but everyone went and saw it. <laughs> uh, number 21, Mad Max Fury Road. Hells yes. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be held up, I think, in future years as one of the action classics of the 2010s. Some could say a sci-fi franchise reboot done well. <laughs> a lot of people would say that. <laughs> At number 29, you had Creed. With, uh, you know, Arnold's uh, old buddy Sly Stallone, which, great movie. Uh, and then, here's some of the kind of the lesser movies that were lower down than uh, than Terminator Genesis. You had, at number 85, the Point Break remake. I think it deserved to be lower. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no one had any fun in that movie at all. I remember renting it being like, how bad could it really be? And it was like, whoa! Far worse than I even imagined. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good climbing scenes, I guess. At number 87, you had Vin Diesel's The Last Witch Hunter, which I never saw. Did you? I did. Being a big mage exploitation fan, I never give up a chance to watch a uh, sword and sorcery movie. Right. And I got a soft spot in my heart for Riddick himself. Of course. Uh, that movie was not very good. Okay. <laughs> was it better than... Um, oh, what was that one we watched that it featured snowmobiles? Babylon AD? Was that it? Uh, it couldn't have been worse than Babylon AD. Okay. And then at number 110, The Transporter Refueled, which had, I think, Ed Skrine playing the Jason Statham role. That didn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Unsurprisingly. Uh, but yeah, like, back to Terminator. It's not like 34 was embarrassing. It was a strong year for movies. I guess, but when you are opening as a summer blockbuster on the 4th of July weekend, and it's a Terminator movie starring Schwarzenegger returning to the role... Coming in after Get Hard is not an achievement. <laughs> well, I didn't knock it out of the park, but we'll call it a... Did he make it to the park? <laughs> we'll call it an overtime loss. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so we just watched this movie, and I think uh, all the listeners who have been with us for a while are probably wondering, Tony, what did you think of Terminator Genesis? Well, you know what? I... I feel like I'm going to disappoint our listeners because I was actually pleasantly surprised. I was expecting a total disaster, a movie that was unwatchable, that killed the franchise, and that made you regret ever watching the previous movies in the franchise because you would just remember Genesis and how sad a movie it was. And I'm pleased to say that is not what I came away with. I actually thought it was a pretty enjoyable film. Uh, I don't know if it was a 5 out of 5 movie, but all the people who were out there giving it 1 out of 5 or 0 out of 5, uh, they must have been watching a different movie than me because I've seen 1 out of 5 movies and this is not a 1 out of 5 movie. It was it was pretty fun. I loved seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger back uh, filling the uh, the role of the 
T-800 and with some convenient exposition as to why he looked... That's all he does is give exposition. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I enjoyed the effects. I thought the action scenes, for the most part, were well done. Uh, And, yeah, I thought it was was an enjoyable movie. Uh, In some ways similar to the feelings that I've had on um, Terminator 3 and to a lesser extent Terminator Salvation, which is... uh, they're definitely not as good as Terminator 2 or The Terminator, but hell, it was still a pretty fun ride, I thought. Mm-hmm. Okay, well... How about you, Cam? Like, upon revisiting this movie, what did you think? It's no good. <laughs> <laughs> like, here's my problem with Terminator Genesis. I think it actually has good ideas in there. Like, I think they understood that you couldn't keep going back to this whole, you know, we've got to go back to this prime timeline and once again stop John Connor or Sarah Connor or whatever being, for being killed. Like, that gets old. I like the idea of switching that up. Alternate timelines, that's fine. Really cool. Um, I like the idea of Kyle Reese being kind of the confused one. Like, Sarah Connor being the like more the leader in this. And, like, the basically driver of her own destiny. Right. But then, like, the movie short changes that completely by having the two male characters fight over who gets to be her guardian the whole time. So, like, you know, it's, it's like, screw you, that message. But whatever the case... <laughs> um, you know, I think there's good ideas in there. Um, the idea of taking over John Connor to be a Terminator, uh, that was the basically abandoned concept for Terminator Salvation. But again, it's not a bad idea. Like, this movie has ideas. I just think it bungles pretty much all of them. Like, it basically puts them in a movie that just feels... I think you're right. Like, it's not a disaster. It's not like that Fantastic Four reboot where you watch it and you're like, holy smokes, like, how did they even release this? Yeah, before we sat down and watched this movie, to be honest, just based on the reviews and what people had said about it, I was expecting it to be like a Battlefield Earth. Right, yeah, and it's definitely not. It just, to me, feels like a movie that's just out of gas. Like, it's basically hitting all the beats one would expect from a Terminator movie, but with none of the energy, none of the technical innovation, and just some of the worst dialogue of the entire franchise. And there is a lot of it. I had to admire... James Cameron all the more watching this movie and that when you watch these scenes play out it's characters just talking and talking and talking and talking trying to explain a plot to you that James Cameron could sum up in like a sentence or two yeah this movie is not without its flaws right and I do think it's also a real weakness that this movie was announced as the first of a trilogy right out of the gate and they leave all these like confusing plot threads dangling so you have like a kind of incomplete movie it is unfortunate because the the plot threads that are there in the movie that are explained mm-hmm. are confusing enough on their own. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's get into it. What we should say, and we normally open the podcast this way, is if you haven't seen this movie, uh, do go rent it or stream it or however you want to get it and watch it because we will be spoiling it for you. And this is a movie where there are some plot twists. Some of them I didn't see coming at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd hate to be the person to to wreck this movie for you if you're a Terminator franchise fan or if you're a Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. Okay, and before we get into it, Tony, what's this movie about? Beats the hell out of me, Cam. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm just kidding. Uh, But it's it's basically a reboot or a reimagining or a sequel, or a prequel. I'm not really entirely sure. Like I said, unlike our normal podcast episodes, I skimped on the research on this one just to come in with a, a fresh face. Fair enough. Uh, so it's not really clear what this movie is to me. I know at the time it was marketed as uh, a reboot. 
Right. And uh, they have reimagined Kyle Reese, Sarah Connor, Arnold Schwarzenegger seems to be playing the same character. Uh, and they're all traveling back and forth through time to try and stop Judgment Day and its various incarnations. I think that sums it up really well, actually. Okay. <laughs> I'm actually impressed. <laughs> Thank you. So, okay. This movie opens in this sort of future war era. And um, I thought it was interesting that they kind of went out of their way just to rewrite some of Salvation right off the bat of making John Connor an adult and Kyle Reese a kid when they meet. Although that was kind of the case. Um, you had Anton Yelchin in uh, Terminator Salvation, and he was much younger i mean obviously the kid in this movie was a genuine honest to goodness yeah kid but like I mean, 10 years old maybe but anton yelchin uh in salvation was playing someone maybe what five six seven years older than that i think probably 16 17 yeah. yeah yeah what did you think of that shift of having it be more of this father figure i thought it was kind of needless actually i i, I couldn't see really the reason why they had to reboot or restart the Terminator Salvation timeline because there wasn't really anything new there except for that difference in age. Uh, uh, John Connor was obviously in Salvation still a bit of a father figure for Kyle Reese, and their relationship, in my mind, wasn't really that different than what it was in this movie. Yeah. No, it really wasn't. Uh, in fact, uh, if you were to go back in time and recast this again... Uh, I know Anton Yelchin uh, has since, unfortunately, died. Uh, but there would be no reason why I don't think you couldn't have uh, Anton Yelchin playing the Jai Courtney role and mm -hmm. and Christian Bale uh, being John Connor again. Uh, I don't know if you need to do that either, but I don't know why they had to abandon and rewrite that Salvation stuff. I think just that movie had a whiff of failure about it, and they just wanted to... You know, make a clean break. Just distinguish it a little bit. Yeah, like, you know, the rights had shifted at that point. Right. Because what had happened was uh, the uh, Halcyon company, who had been running the Terminator movies through Salvation, uh, sold them off to uh, Pacificor, who they were trying to put together a Terminator 5, which would have been this movie, with Justin Lin, who ended up doing Star Trek Beyond, as well as some of the Fast and Furious movies. Right. And he was going to do a Terminator movie with the Fast and Furious writer, Chris Morgan. Um, what ended up happening was Megan Elson of Annapurna Pictures picked up the rights to Terminator at auction in 2011 and handed them over to Skydance, which is a company her brother runs. And uh, they were going to launch this off. Justin Lin left. They wound up with Alan Taylor, who had done Thor The Dark World, which is a probably the worst Marvel movie, maybe. But he was also a really well-established TV director. He'd done a lot of Game of Thrones, Rome, um, uh, Sopranos, a lot of prestige TV. Mm -hmm. And he was just coming off a Marvel movie, so he felt like, I think, a bit of a get for them. And then this is what they got. Yeah. Is there any movie franchise more mired in lawsuit and bankruptcy and transferring rights than the Terminator franchise? It seems every time we do one of these podcasts, and this is what, the fifth one we've done? Yeah. And we went over it as well when we did our episodes on James Cameron and Andy Vanya. Mm -hmm. Like the Terminator property rights seem to be just shifting from company to company to person to person, and sometimes owned by nobody at all. Yeah. Uh, and every time we get a different movie made out of it, it seems like. Right. And I mean, the only franchise that jumps to mind to me that's also been through some nightmares is the James Bond franchise. But it's also done it over a far longer period of time. 
Whereas, like, Terminator, it's, like, 20 years younger than uh, the James Bond franchise. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, uh, yeah, those Terminator movies, they really are kind of a disaster. And it's funny, even in, like, the other day, there's a story going up about Terminator rights being a bit of a problem again. It just never ends for this franchise. Yeah, I was reading that there's been some changes to copyright laws in the United States, and uh, there was some kind of danger that the rights are going to revert to James Cameron uh, in 2019 or 2020, yeah, which was part of the motivation for making maybe Genesis, maybe Dark Fate. I can't remember. It would have been Dark Fate. Yeah. yeah. So, Tony, what did you think of the launching point for this movie? Because I think it was in some ways a lot to ask an audience to get excited about the Terminator world again, because even if Salvation was maybe an underwhelmer, people, I don't think, had at this point in time the strongest of like nostalgia for Terminator 3. So it's been quite a while since people have seen a Terminator movie that really, you know, really shook them up, which would have been Terminator 2 many, many years before this one. And so I'm curious, like, what do you think of a launching off point like this, where it's this whole, we've brought an end to Skynet, we've got to send you back to stop one Terminator again. Like, is it a good hook just to kick off a movie? You know, I think the opening of this movie is awesome. Okay. I think it looks great. The The whole future war really got my hopes high. Actually, the first 15 minutes, before the credits even roll, really, or the cast even rolls, uh, I was thinking to myself, man, this movie has been unfairly treated just based on the first 10 minutes of this movie alone, where you've got these images of Skynet's armies and these slave camps with these red laser walls and just waves and waves of human soldiers going at uh these t-800 endoskeletons uh, and it looks it looks fantastic there's uh, a lot of bad cg in there though i don't think i don't think there is i think there is bad cg in this movie for sure yeah uh i don't think the opening 10 15 minutes or so is where the the bad cg is what at. hides a lot of it in the dark because it's all set for very sure low light for sure um I do really enjoy the bit where they are using the cover of having uh, endoskeletons drive their truck in. Oh, I thought that was hilarious. That's probably my favorite part of maybe the whole movie. <laughs> like, I really enjoyed that. I was like, huh, never seen that before. It kind of made me smile. Yeah, it seems kind of unnecessary. Like, they could, sure. you think they could just make a self-driving truck. <laughs> you don't have to have... Well, oh, you don't have to have a soldier robot driving your garbage trucks around. The best part of it is it doesn't even work. <laughs> the endoskeletons that are like alive look at it and are like fraud, fraud, and open fire on it. <laughs> yeah, it's not the best idea. Good thing they had a lot of guns in the truck with them and everything turned out okay. But the launching of Kyle Reese back into time, like, did you feel in this moment like they'd come up with a good hook as to why they were doing this? Like, did it feel like this is something interesting and new? No, not really. I don't. I don't think. I mean, that moment in the series as a franchise is so pivotal and so important to the whole Terminator mythos mm -hmm. that I kind of hoped for something a little bit better there. Actually, you know, having a little bit more gravitas as to, uh, you know, the humans planning this out mm -hmm. and uh, Kyle Reese being the. Uh, reluctant volunteer and none of that happened they just kind of go to the time machine and plug a laptop into it and say well who wants to go and everyone wants to go yeah and then uh john connor turns to kyle and says well why should i pick you 
even right. though John Connor knows why. I mean, it doesn't really matter what Kyle Reese thinks. It's sure. not like he's not going in that machine anyways. <laughs> and I feel like the actual act of transporting them, this is something we've seen in all the other Terminator movies, this ball of blue light coming through into, you know, our era. And it looked so cool. And our imagination was always like, how do they do it? And I feel like seeing it is like, oh, that's a CG blob. <laughs> like, it's not impressive to me. Like, I feel like it's no, one of those it's things not. I'm like, maybe they should have left that to my imagination. Yeah, maybe. It was kind of unnecessary to show it on screen. It was the a little bit of the monster effect, mm. only a, only it's a time machine. Right. Uh, and of that opening act, I thought that that was probably the weakest part, whereas the scenes of Judgment Day and the Future War, mm -hmm. uh, I thought were awesome. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so then we jump to 1984 where we get to see some inversions of the moments of the original Terminator. They kind of do this speed through of Terminator 1 and 2 in like 15 minutes. I thought that was pretty cool. I wasn't expecting that and nobody had uh, told me about that. No one, no one had told me like, oh, there's a five minute basically remake mm -hmm. of Terminator 1, almost shot for shot. Yeah. And I was wondering how far they were going to go with it. They've got... Uh, Schwarzenegger as the Terminator from the first Terminator approaching the three punks mm -hmm. and I thought oh okay well he's gonna steal their clothes we've already seen the the guy in the garbage truck running away yeah uh, Kyle Reese stealing the clothes of the uh of the hobo putting on Nikes <laughs> yeah those I gotta get myself a pair of those shoes they're so cool <laughs> I'm sure the sneaker heads will be after them <laughs> and then there's that plot twist of the old Terminator coming out and having an old Arnold versus young Arnold yeah. battle with ultimately Sarah Connor pulling the trigger as the sniper. Now, in concept, I really like this. In execution, it did not look good. It looked like the scene from the second Hulk movie where it's the Hulk versus the Abomination. Like, the CG Arnold did not look good. I know what you're saying, and I don't agree with you entirely. I think that the, the fight could have been done uh, a little bit better, and we've seen better fights in Terminator movies. But I didn't think the CG here was was horrible, mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't think the character mapping of having uh, young Arnold's face on bodybuilder Brett Azar's body uh, fighting old Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, I, I thought it it, it could have looked a lot worse. But it, here's my thing, though. Like again, it's a really cool concept, and like the face mapping's okay. The eyes don't look good, and you can see why they're putting darkness across the eyes for most of those scenes. But like, uh, the thing is, if this is just some standard sci-fi franchise, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, this comes from James Cameron's original two movies. James Cameron is a master of action, so if you can't shoot a really, really great action sequence, it looks embarrassing next to the earlier movies, and. When a franchise movie is coming out and can't do something at least on par with the weakest action scenes in movies made like 20 years earlier, that's not good. I think that's a tall order. Uh, and if you remember when we watched Terminator 2 again, which both of us have seen yeah. countless times, uh, and both of us, I think, were going into it expecting it to be you know, a much-loved classic that uh, has aged well but has aged. Right. I mean, that's still a movie that you would be hard-pressed to put any action movie being made today up against. I mean, those action scenes are classic. They're impactful. They're some of the best action scenes ever filmed. It's true, and we live in an era now where most directors can't shoot action. 
And we don't see a lot of movies like that these days. Most of the no. movies that we see are generally uh, pretty CG heavy, mm-hmm. and which can be done really well, but we just don't get that that same kind of impact. I thought that the fight between the two Arnolds was actually kind of similar. It reminded me of the fights between the Terminator and the Terminatrix in T3, which still had impact. You get to see the Terminator smashing through walls right. and that sort of thing, but doesn't have the same menace that we see in Terminator or Terminator 2. Well, this was less, like, goofy than that was, and I think that was intentionally goofy. Like, the fights with the Terminatrix get really absurd, where she's, like, slamming his head into toilets and stuff like that. I find those more fun, though, because at least they're somewhat memorable. Um, But, uh, like, what did you think of the face-off with the T-1000 here, played by uh, Byung-Han Lee? Well, before we go there, what did you think of... At the end of that uh, fight scene, mm-hmm. we see Schwarzenegger give the iconic T2 oh. thumbs up down the sniper scope. Now, I thought that was uh, a really cool nod without being too cheesy. One of the better nods in a movie that is all nods. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> it's spasming on the ground half the time. <laughs> <laughs> now, what did you think of the T-1000 section? Again, I thought it looked great. I thought that they did a good job. Uh, the... I thought the liquid metal looked like CG, but uh, I thought that what they were going for, and I could be wrong here, was actually making it look similar to what it did in Terminator 2, which had that early CG effect, which today looks does look a little bit dated, but Mm -hmm. still really works in the context of that movie. And so they updated it a little bit. It still was clearly not model-based. It was clearly CG-based. Right. Um, but I thought it looked really cool. It had some really cool scenes. I I, I love the part of the T-1000 played by uh, uh, Byung-Hun Lee, mm-hmm. uh, where he, like, breaks off his arm and throws it as a spear yeah. through, uh, through the Schwarzenegger Terminator. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like this is probably, to me, maybe the highlight of the movie in terms of, like, imagination. Like... I think the uh, the imagination really goes off a cliff when you get later into the movie and the action stuff. But like here, like there's some fun stuff, and I really like the idea of this acid shower that uh, Sarah Connor has put together to rain down on this thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of those you know booby traps that boy was that well planned. <laughs> yeah, you think they could have made it maybe a little closer to where this yeah. uh, t- time bubble was going to come in rather than sure. having to drive across town in an exploding truck. And it really all depended on whether she'd have a machine gun at that point. Uh, I also thought that the scene where the T-1000 pushes itself through the cop car window yeah. and then jumps towards the back of the truck with Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese blasting away at it was mm-hmm. was pretty cool as far as action scenes go. Um, and definitely not a weak action scene in any movie and i thought it worked well in the context here yeah and i I like the idea that they're kind of racing through the t800 and the t1000 to kind of clear the board and be like okay that stuff's done from this point forward we're going off in our own little direction yeah this part of the movie was also where i thought we got the best of jai courtney as kyle reese he's terrible in this movie he has his weak points, I'll acknowledge. <laughs> They're but, called acting. <laughs> I Emotion. That, <laughs> Sincerity. He wasn't given a lot to work with. Uh, but the, and yet they kept making him talk. <laughs> but the scenes with him running away from the T-1000, you have sure. to admit, were pretty good. He's the, physically, he's very capable. With yeah. that, that kind of frenetic pace 
of crawling around. Like he's moving like someone who has been on the run his whole life. Sure. I think my issue is like Jai Courtney is an actor who's very limited. And uh, this was a period in Hollywood where they were really pushing him in a lot of star vehicles that weren't working. He's not very good in the uh, Good Day to Die Hard. Again, bad movie. But he was okay in uh, the first Jack Reacher. And I think he's maybe at his most fun in a really weak movie, but Suicide Squad, where he plays Captain Boomerang and he gets to be a little weird. I don't think he does the square jawed action movie heroes thing well at all. Like, a lot of this depends on having a certain amount of gravitas in delivering seemingly endless exposition and trying to make this connection with the new uh, Sarah Connor character played by Amelia Clark. And, like, to me, it's just a dead zone. Like, listening to these two talk to each other is brutal. Yeah, their dialogue was not particularly strong and uh, was not the highlight of the movie. And I think it's also problematic to ask us to think of these two characters as the same two characters from the original Terminator. In the original Terminator, both Linda Hamilton and Michael Bean, while movie actors, um, looked at least closer to real people. <laughs> like they had a, like authenticity to them as recognizable human beings. Whereas like Jay Courtney looks like a model walking around in this thing. And I mean, Amelia Clark is no slouch herself. And neither of them talk in a way that has that kind of naturalism that Cameron worked into his dialogue. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to get to it a little bit later, but we might as well get into it now. Uh, when you look at the different actors who have played um, these characters, uh, I mean, Kyle Reese has been played by Michael Bean and Anton Yelchin, which we mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. and Jai Courtney. Jai Courtney is definitely the, the weakest of the three. By far, yeah. Yeah, and then... Uh, Sarah Connor, we got Linda Hamilton and Amelia Clark. I haven't watched the Sarah Connor Chronicles, unfortunately, but I, I, I do hear Lena Headey did a, a good job with that character. Mm -hmm. But Linda Hamilton, you look at her in, in T1 and T2, playing the same character, but effectively different characters. Yeah. And she just blows it out of the water. Like She's just such an iconic action star, an iconic female action star. And we we don't get that really with Amelia Clark, who's not bad but uh isn't great well like linda hamilton has a real like rawness to her and like a strength that really is sold on her face like you buy her as the mother of this revolutionary leader like she has that toughness to her amelia clark does not despite the fact in this version of the timeline it's one who's been raised by a terminator to be a fighter right from a young age like in theory she should be Sarah Connor approaching Terminator 2 kind of level, but she feels a little too... And you asked me at one point how old she was because she looked very young. Like, she almost looks too young for the role, even though I think she is the right age range for mm -hmm. Linda Hamilton in the original Terminator. Yeah, and I mean, this sequence where they're introducing Amelia Clark as Sarah Connor and Jai Courtney as Kyle Reese... It is in some ways, uh, again, a remake or a reboot or a reshoot, mm -hmm. who knows what to call it, of of Terminator 1. You get the T-1000 in there. It's also working in the T Terminator 2. One of the things about the way Linda Hamilton and Michael Bean, especially the way they portrayed these parts, is they had a real vulnerability to them as yeah. well. They seemed like real people and they reacted in ways that you would expect real people to react. Yeah, like, if, I remember the terror, for example, on, like, Linda Hamilton's face in, like, the Tech Noir Club. Yeah, absolutely. And she was just kind of a hopeless 
1984 Ditz, mm-hmm. and then Michael Bean as you know a, a soldier who's clearly suffering from PTSD uh, and is you know barely constrained, also very vulnerable in his relationship with Sarah Connor. Mm-hmm. And you just don't you don't get that with these two characters at all. Yeah, he does not seem like a soldier who's been just absolutely put through hell for like for decades. And if anything, you get these you get these moments where they're almost being killed or the Terminator is after them and they're almost flippant with the way they react to them. And which is fine in the context, I think, of a lot of action movies. Like mm-hmm. I think of like the Fast and the Furious movies, which are so unrealistic and so preposterous. Yeah, uh, y- you don't really care. Of, of course, someone's sure. just going to make a one-liner when they uh, drive a sports car off of a building or something like that. <laughs> right. Uh, but in the Terminator movies, I, I kind of expect and, and want a little bit more. I know that that was a negative in Salvation. People said that it was too serious and too much of a downer. Right. But I thought the moments of levity in in scenes that could have been real hard-hitting action scenes were in a lot of places uh, misplaced. Right. And to me, like, you want that authentic, recognizable human emotion. Even, like, Claire Dane's character in Terminator 3 has it, where she becomes somewhat identifiable to the audience. I don't know who the audience, like, avatar character is here at all. I mean, you don't necessarily have to have one, but in the past, this franchise has done well, having someone that you can kind of relate to in some ways. And that might go to the actress as well, because Claire Danes, uh, we talked about on our T3 episode, she didn't have great material, right? but she is such a fantastic actress that she made it work and made it believable. I think one of the strengths of T3, and one where this one gets bogged down too, is that T3, for all of its negative points, it keeps barreling forward. Like mm-hmm. like most of the Terminator movies, at least the first three, it is on a fast track. And you're staying there. You're going along on this really fast ride with these characters. You've got a destination. Right. Whereas this one, the destination, there is one, but it's confusing to us most of the movie. As well as it keeps taking these long periods where the two characters just sit down and just start yammering. Like, you know, right off the early bat where they're going to bounce up to 2017 they're sitting in a locker room having this heart to heart that is just like really weakly written and it's the type of scene i feel like james cameron would have gotten across in like three lines of dialogue or something each whereas this it just kind of drags on for like four or five minutes it feels like yeah well they did have a lot to explain that's true and we should say the screenplay was by leda caligridis who Uh, wrote apologies if we have that pronunciation wrong we yeah we did we discussed it for about 15 minutes before we started the podcast yeah Uh, she wrote shutter island which is a uh, you know pretty good scorsese movie she also wrote uh, alita battle angel and a movie tony i think you and i will both uh remember in uh not necessarily fond uh memories but you know we remember uh pathfinder Oh, God. (laughs) And it was also co-written by Patrick Lussier, who wrote and directed uh, Drive Angry with Nick Cage, as well as Dracula 2000. And he also wrote, but didn't direct, uh, the My Bloody Valentine 3D uh, remake, which I really enjoyed. I really liked that movie. Yeah, I unfortunately didn't see it. But if you look at most of these movies, they're not dialogue-heavy movies. (laughs) And this movie has way too much dialogue and way too much exposition. Like, I feel like... If you're going to bring on these writers, and I mean, they have familiarity with genre projects, if you give them something that's maybe fast-paced and doesn't slow down as much, maybe you could get something a little more functional? Well, like I say, they had a lot to explain. They they had to explain uh, jumping from LA 2029 back into 
1984, and then forward again into 2017. Meanwhile, explaining that uh, Linda Hamilton had actually met the Terminator in 1973, and that John Connor had come back to 2014 in order to ensure that 2017 went off without a hitch. 1997, that never happened at all. They just bypassed that. And so, needless to say... You're going to have a lot of people talking. Rather than cutting dialogue, they they almost should have cut timelines. Well, here's the question. Is this too complicated a premise for this franchise? This very convoluted time hopping. Like, is there a way they could have honed it down and just made it a little simpler? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It does feel like, and there is all these like rumors about behind-the-scenes meddling and all that, it seems like the type of movie that a lot of this exposition is being put in place to try and explain rewrites. That's certainly possible. I would not be surprised at all. There's also, um, confusingly, in addition to this expository dialogue, bogging the movie down and explaining uh, timelines, which in some cases are themselves expository, Mm -hmm. there's also flashbacks uh, that aren't really explained. It's not really explained who the characters are in them. We eventually figure it out. Yeah. But... It's not like it's a mystery that we're looking to solve as the movie unfolds. It's just a confusing thing there that we're scratching our heads about until an hour and a half in. It's not like it's a Kaiser Soze or something like that. It's just like, oh, that's who that kid was. Right, yeah. And there's also the element of uh, Matt Smith shows up as, I guess, a Terminator or Skynet. Uh, He's credited as Alex. He's the guy that grabs John Connor while Kyle Reese is transporting and then he like pops up as a Skynet interface at points in the movie. But I'm like, why would they cast this recognizable actor in this very like nothing role? It feels like something that when he was signed on was something. And then it became nothing over the course of shooting and editing. I think he's physically in it for what? Like one scene? Two scenes? One scene. Yeah. I think. Yeah, one scene and it's about uh, maybe, I don't know, 15 seconds of screen time? And then, maybe. And then I was going to say maybe they kept him on for the voice acting, but Skynet's voice acting is played by a bunch of different characters. It's a child, and then it's an older man, and all it's this other stuff. Very reminiscent of the Red Queen from the uh, Resident Evil franchise a couple times. <laughs> that is, and that's not necessarily something that uh, <laughs> you want to have comparisons drawn to. So let's jump to 2017. There's a lot going on here, but T- like 2017. In our timeline or in the movie's timeline? <laughs> the movie timeline. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where what comes a little clearer is a couple things. One, that um, this program Genesis exists. It's basically <laughs> a killer new app, dude. It's going to connect everything, man. <laughs> yeah, I will say a lot of the dialogue here, uh, while not as in-your-face expository as some of the other stuff, was definitely just slamming it into the titanium nose. <laughs> <laughs> like Skynet is a killer app. Yeah. Uh <laughs> come on. Yeah, so basically we find out that Skynet is Genesis and Genesis is going to launch soon. So that's what we have to do now is knock out Genesis, which to me just feels like a recycled plot anyway. It's like we're going to go into a whole new timeline to do our own thing. I but ha- we're going to repeat Terminator 2. <laughs> I thought having uh Danny Dyson, Miles Dyson's son as yeah. the uh head of cyberdyne was a nice touch this does not feel like a fresh start though to me no maybe not (laughs) but yeah i i do agree i like the danny dyson idea um and uh you know the whole genesis thing is just when it's basically just skynet with a different name you're like really (laughs) that's what you came, came up with 
But whatever the case, we get that. We also get the re-entrance of John Connor, played by Jason Clark, who is now a nanobot, I guess, who is basically your primary Terminator villain for the movie. Yeah, and you know what? And this is maybe uh, tipping my hat as far as my movie intelligence goes, mm -hmm. but... Uh, I was fooled by this uh, oh, really? entry. I was like, oh, John Connor's here. Great. They're going to work together now to save the day. Uh, <laughs> you didn't figure it out from the poster? I had wiped it out. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, it's a very forgettable poster, so I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, like I say, I, I was doing my best to bury any research or plot review on this. Right. So I actually didn't think John Connor was going to be coming back into this movie at all. Right. And when they did show up, I, I thought, well, hey, check it out. John Connor's here and he's still the good guy. Although, uh, if I recall, I had the same reaction to the T-1000 when I was a kid and watching Terminator 2. Was, I thought he was the good guy. Well, he's in a police uniform. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly. For, you're forgiven for that, I think. Exactly. I think I was 12 when that movie Exactly. Was when you're a kid, you know, you have more faith in the police. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what did you think of the John Connor Terminator? Because I think we've seen in a post Terminator 2 world that the franchise has constantly been struggling to create the next great Terminator. You know, we had the Terminatrix, which I don't think anyone was really that over the moon for. Uh, you had some variations of the machines in um, Salvation. What did you think of this nanobot, more talkative Terminator? I think going back to your initial comments on this podcast, I thought it was a really cool idea having John Connor or some version of John Connor flipping over to the dark side. Sure. Uh, it, not that it's a particularly original movie trope. Right. But, like you say, they're going for something new. I don't think it really worked in this case. And it's one of the dangers, I think, when you're getting into sci-fi movies where you're dealing with uh, upgrades, where you reach a point where the only way to upgrade it is to make it seem unrealistic. Right. Or magical. Yeah. And, and that seemed to be the... The case here, it was, uh, I had the problem, I think a lot of people had the same problem with the Terminatrix in T3, where you start thinking, well, T2, they explained the T1000 as a poly alloy, you thinking to yourself, well, that seems improbable, mm -hmm. but the way they explained it in James Cameron style, maybe not impossible. Right. And then you have the Terminatrix, who's got flamethrowers, and somehow can control dump trucks, and wrecking balls and fire trucks with nanobots. Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, well, this is impossible. This is just nano magic. Yeah. And similar here, you've got uh, now John Connor who can basically teleport and is invulnerable to weapons. Yeah. Uh, and I actually think they did a better job. I don't know what you think in Salvation, where rather than upgrading the machines, they actually downgraded them and gave us something new. Yeah. And the threat was more in the numbers rather than in the uh the upgrade although i guess we did get kind of the skynet monster at the end sure I, you know what i agree with you though i actually liked how they downgraded them in salvation there was actually some really interesting creations there uh, yeah i'm not a fan of the jason clark uh john connor terminator at all i i think he's probably the weakest adversary we've seen at this point not in terms of actual physical power but in terms of screen presence which is weird because jason clark is a really great actor and um, I've liked him in lots of things, like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He was fantastic in that. Um, I liked him in the Pet Cemetery remake. Um, but he's just, I don't know, like, I just wonder if it's an, 
from conception up, it just doesn't quite work, where it's this, like, fast-talking Terminator that, I don't know, John Connor is a character, I've talked about it in the past as being the most thankless role in the world to play, where you're just kind of like this <laughs> <laughs> tortured leader who just has to give speeches, which isn't the greatest. He does give some speeches. He does, but... um he, I don't know, like, Jason Clark doesn't have the physical presence in a scene to be that persuaded by an action scene between him and Schwarzenegger and to finding it exciting. Like, I don't know, like, there's nothing about this new Terminator that really works visually on screen in a way that is scary. Uh, you know, CG nanobots don't do anything for me at all. Like, they're not scary. I think my favorite moment he has in terms of that sort of thing is when he's stuck to a magnet. And he's like walking across a room and like you're basically seeing these layers of him get pulled off. Yeah, that was an awesome scene. Uh, it was clearly CG, yeah. but it looked really cool. I think that's the only fun visual thing they do with him though. Like everything else feels like variations on T-1000 stuff, you know, where like he has holes in his hands or his head or something like that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you don't really get much. You just get a lot of, uh, you know, fights with Schwarzenegger, which is fine. But he just doesn't feel like he has the presence of the T-1000 the original Terminator, or even the Terminatrix. Yeah, and it doesn't help that the plot device that they use to create him as an adversary is pretty stupid. (laughs) Well, do you want to underline it? Sure. Just before Kyle Reese got sent back in time, he saw Skynet, I guess that was Matt Smith, (laughs) (laughs) in his one scene. This bizarre Alex character. (laughs) uh, Grabbing John Connor and infecting him with nanobots which changed his constitution at the cellular level so he is now part john connor but part skynet i guess john connor working for skynet uh the reason skynet did this was it because it realized that john connor always defeats it and the only way to defeat humanity was to become john connor and now he keeps saying over and over again how he's more than both skynet and humanity but it's I don't know. It's it's pretty convoluted. This is the part where the movie kind of started to get unraveled a little bit. And mm-hmm. this is the part where we I think we start to see the sources of some of the one out of fives, even if they weren't warranted. Yeah, like, even the introduction is a little confusing because the police have captured um, uh, Sarah and uh, Kyle. And they're holding them at the station and they're saying, we're waiting for Homeland Security to come get you. John Connor shows up and they're like, here he is, Mr. Homeland Security. And I'm like, okay, like, is he, I guess he's posing as Homeland Security? Well, I, they, they expository that as well, where they say, well, John Connor actually got sent back to 2014, where he started working for Cyberdyne. That's not Homeland Security. Um, I don't know, Cam. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Like, yeah, it gets very muddled. There's, it, like, it doesn't make a lot of sense here. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of that because they also at one point just have this offhand reference that the Schwarzenegger Terminator worked construction on the Cyberdyne <laughs> company like uh, location or the Genesis location, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> She's like, really? He goes, yeah, until I got laid off, and I'm like, what's that movie? <laughs> well, you know what I liked about that though? <laughs> I mean, that would be that'd be a great movie, working class Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd rather watch that. <laughs> be awesome. Terminator eating his lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Terminator getting his pink slip. Working ha- for the weekend. Having to go home to his wife and explain <laughs> how he lost his job. <laughs> I think that's a hard-hitting drama right there. Going to, like, the uh, local bar on Fridays. <laughs> Here's to us, boys. <laughs> yeah, there. I mean, there's 25 years of... Uh, 
uh, Terminator pops that we kind of missed out on. Yeah. But yeah, like there's these weird little details thrown out throughout this movie that you're like, wait, back up for a second, but the movie never does. And that's where I feel like the, a lot of the uh, behind the scenes stuff is kind of getting mucky. There's also this weird issue we didn't bring up earlier, but like, how does Sarah Connor have this older Terminator? Well, we're told it got sent back to her to 1973, right? Correct. But who sent it? Who knows? Right. And I guess that was for a sequel to answer that question, I guess. You know, in some ways, I, I almost don't mind that. Uh, I actually mind the plot holes less in some places than the plot. Sure, that's fair. I never think it's smart, though, to write a movie with the intention of answering things in your sequel. I agree with that. Yeah, because when the sequel doesn't happen, the movie becomes kind of irrelevant and tragic. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe this one's a bit of a lesser exception in that regard, but you know those movies. There are those movies that are all about setting up a sequel that you never get. Masters of the Universe. <laughs> <laughs> that may be a stay tuned for the future yeah, in some way or who, form. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so like, what did you think of the general action sequences throughout this part in the movie, where you're getting, you know, like a, a helicopter chase, you're getting um, some fights with John Connor? Did any of that work for you? Like, stand out to you as exciting or interesting? Uh, I guess the uh, the bus scene shortly after they they meet John Connor and they're escaping from Cyberdyne. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Where you have John Connor. And the Terminator on a bus being driven by Linda Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> Linda Hamilton, huh? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I, I mean uh, Sarah Connor. See, she's so she embodies the role so yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I can't help myself. Yeah. Uh, I wish it would have been driven by Linda Hamilton. Maybe we'll get that in Dark Fate. Maybe. Although, if you're listening to this after Dark Fate has been released, uh, it hasn't been released yet, and I honestly don't know. Right. Uh I thought that that scene was pretty cool. It had some uh, action movie plot holes. It, it seemed to me like if you're trying to escape from a, a killer half human, half robot, probably driving a stolen school bus onto <laughs> the, uh, I'm not sure if it was the 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 Bay Bridge or the Golden Gate Bridge, mm-hmm. uh, seems to me to be one of the worst possible <laughs> ideas you can have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it also wasn't clear to me where all the traffic was coming from, given that the cops seemed to have put spike belts on either, <laughs> either end of this bridge, but there's a lot of cars out there. Sure. Uh, but it, it worked for me. There, the scene with the school bus uh, flipping end over end in the yeah. air, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure that all occupants of that school bus w- would have been pulped into canned spaghetti. They would have looked like the melted T-1000 yeah. by the end. Uh, seatbelt or no seatbelt, I, th- I think things were pretty grim at that point, but yeah. I thought it looked awesome on screen. Yeah, it did. It reminded me of The Dark Knight, of course, which came out, what, seven years before this movie. But uh, you even had a bit of the score sounded like The Dark Knight at points, and it was by... Uh, Lorne Balfe, I guess. Uh, I don't know if I have that pronunciation right, but that's the best I can do right at the moment. And uh, <laughs> some of the scores sounded like the uh, Dark Knight score, and that flip over reminded me of the truck flip in Dark Knight as well. But um, So you kind of had that set up, but then the part you're talking about where the bus is hanging over the side reminded me of The Lost World with the trailer hanging over the cliff. Uh, I mean, it reminded me of... Uh... Pretty much any movie that's ever had a vehicle hanging over a cliff. Sure, but I'm ever. thinking more the moment where they have to hang on and then let go as the vehicle falls around them. Like, that really is the, like, central set piece of The Lost World. Like, the one part everyone loves in that movie. 
Uh, for sure. I, I think we saw it in probably um, six out of the 400 Fast and the Furious movies as well. Probably. Uh, and and various other ones. But I, I think it looked looked cool. Yeah. Um, you had that movie conceit uh, at that point of, <laughs> I'm not sure if this would actually work. Uh, probably not, where uh, the Terminator has made out of old speakers basically magnetic boxing gloves for yeah. fighting these nanopods. That was a, I felt like, kind of weird addition to the story. It was like, wait, what? I thought it was kind of cool, though. It worked for me. But it's like when you have this villain who's like magic, and then he's like, oh, I just wired this simple device out of like basic parts around the house to stop it. You're like, wow, is this thing that easy to stop? Yeah, and actually, and you know what we forgot? Uh, we I think we need to back up just a little bit here. Okay. Um, because we're in 2017 now, uh, it would be a shame not to mention the naked teleport into the middle of the San Francisco highway. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I thought that uh, again, that was a pretty cool concept. I think they should have got the coordinates a bit better. Yeah. Uh, with the Terminator supposed to be meeting them there 25 years later in right. real time. Right. But uh, I, again, I think showing the time travel on screen is is a little bit of a mistake sure but um yeah like i i feel the same way like i think the bus on the bridge sequence is probably the action highlight for me in this section i think the low light for me is the helicopter chase i agree with you it's bad like the cg is terrible you can tell they've made it look as murky as possible in terms of the lighting to hide how bad the cg is there's a part where Arnold like shoots a tanker truck to explode in front of the uh, helicopter, and it just looks like a cartoon. The only moment in this whole thing that I like is Arnold basically being a, uh, you know, <laughs> cyborg missile and being like, "I'll be back," and just jumping out the window on top of a helicopter because he's so heavy to like ruin this helicopter. That's something I would have liked to have seen done in a movie that staged that moment better. I agree with you. Although you have to admit that the helicopter scene looks better here than it did in like the sixth day. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you that. You think it's better than the sixth day uh, plane things? I do. Uh, I mean, here the the helicopters, they definitely look fake. It's the kind of CG in a movie that uh, dates a movie. Like if if we watch this movie 20 or 30 years from now, we're going to be like, oh yeah, that looks stupid. I mean, we're watching it four years removed, and it doesn't look good. And as I do remember in theaters, it didn't look good either. Yeah, and it's one of those things that when you're making it, when they're making a movie, I gotta wonder why? Why do they do this kind of thing? Like, you know, they're doing things with helicopters here that I'm sure some of the scenes were with actual helicopters, um, but like they're clearly doing things with helicopters that could never happen. Uh, that real pilots could not do these stunts yeah and as a result it just looks fake and it takes away suspense rather than adding suspense to the movie and i feel like after watching mission impossible fallout which had one of the most incredible if not the most incredible helicopter sequences put to film that this sort of thing is just inexcusable like you know what give me a really great practical helicopter chase or just don't come up with something else like don't give me these cartoon helicopters flying throughout a sky it just doesn't work yeah i agree with you i I, as far as cg goes and as far as the realization of that chase on screen i mean again it wasn't poorly conceived it's just so obviously fake 
uh, that it it kind of takes away from what they're trying to get at. Well, you look at the helicopter sequence in Terminator 2, which is a real helicopter, and is it as wild and crazy as this helicopter chase? No, not at all. But it's also really exciting because it actually has, like, physical like gravitas to it like you actually can feel the weight of these two vehicles between the helicopter and then the vehicle that schwarzenegger's in absolutely and maybe it's a little bit i don't know the marvel effect here where we're just kind of used to now when when there's uh an air battle Mm -hmm. or, or really any kind of battle i should say the i think it's just something that's ingrained in in a lot of movie makers these days where you you cut to cg animation and and have tons of things explode and have things barely miss and have the helicopter hell why not have it go upside down or under a bridge or three feet above the ground yeah just you know like uh hitting cars like i even think of the the helicopter scene in um i think it was tomorrow never dies oh okay yeah yeah that was a good one you know it just again um nothing too zany you got a helicopter flying really low to the ground trying to chop James Bond up, mm-hmm. uh, not moving particularly fast, right? but the scene really worked, whereas <laughs> here it's just kind of out of control. I've heard people make fun of that one as calling it like the James Bond Universal Studios uh, stunt show, but like, <laughs> but I love it. I think it's so much fun. <laughs> so I'm on your side on that one. Great. I'm glad, I'm glad we finally agree on something. <laughs> but no, I think you actually hit on a good point, which is the Marvel thing. Like Marvel is pretty famous for hiring on a lot of directors who don't have a lot of action experience and basically saying, don't worry about the action. We pre-vised all that stuff. The CG people in the second unit will deal with all that. You just deal with the actors and the story elements. And that's not a good thing, I feel like, in blockbuster filmmaking. I think there's a reason when we get these really great action movies, whether it's Mad Max Fury Road, Mission Impossible Fallout, uh, some of the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight stuff, like the vehicle chases there, mm-hmm. those directors were very hands-on and knew how to assemble sequences. Mm-hmm. Like Alan Taylor who had done Thor The Dark World. I do not know how involved he was in the action of that whatsoever. Maybe he's done some stuff on Game of Thrones, but being thrown onto a big sequence with helicopters, how much input he really had, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, I mean, what we do know is that um, as far as action sequences in this movie, this one really doesn't work. Okay, well, let's get to the big finale. We've basically been headed to the destruction of the Genesis Laboratories throughout at least the second back half of this movie, as well as the big face-off with John Connor bot. And we're not talking about Sega here. <laughs> That's right. That's all I could think of. When the kid's opening the Genesis <laughs> box and he's like, wow! Uh, I'm glad it wasn't just me. <laughs> no, all, all I'm thinking about is like Sonic the Hedgehog and Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> X-Men, the uh, Genesis game, <laughs> which was so great. Yeah. Oh, or wasn't the Jurassic Park one really good too? You could play as a raptor? Uh, I can't remember, man. <laughs> I'm more interested in the... <laughs> I had a Super Nintendo. So did I. But I'm more interested in talking about 8-bit Genesis systems than the Genesis of this movie. <laughs> uh, Genesis was 16-bit. Was it? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, so what did you think of the big finale in this movie? Well, let's put it this way. This movie got worse as it progressed, not better. <laughs> okay. Right. I thought it had a strong first act. Mm-hmm. A middling second act, and the third act was pretty weak. I don't know what you thought about it. Well, it didn't feel like it built anything big. It felt like they kind of ran out of ideas 
early on of the whole, like, let's play around with the expectations of the audience, with the things they've seen in past movies. Okay, now let's play around with this older Terminator and this new John Connor Terminator. But then by the time you get to this take down the lab, you're like, I don't know. They're just like, ah, just blow everything up. Who knows? Yeah, what I will say is this, they, they explain in this movie that the Genesis system, the killer app, as you were, has been uh, pre-subscribed to by over one billion people. It is right. literally the biggest product release of all time. And then these these guys go to the Cyberdyne system's uh, headquarters, uh, like 12 hours from launch day. They've got clocks everywhere on, like every billboard in every city in the world yeah. is launched to Genesis. And they go to this company's headquarters the night before the big launch, and it's deserted. There's, <laughs> there's nobody there. And it's uh, it's totally bizarre. I thought it was absolutely preposterous. My favorite part was there's the countdown clock to when it goes live. Which is not an uncommon movie trope to add suspense uh, to something <laughs> happening and, and add an impetus for the characters to act quickly. Sure. But but then the clock keeps jumping and they're like, uh-oh, Skynet's jumping the clock. <laughs> I'm like, wait, it can do that? Well, then why have a clock in the first place? Yeah, they're like, we only have 15 minutes to set the bombs. Oh no, the clock's advanced to 8 minutes. Why doesn't Skynet just go, now we're going live now? <laughs> Yeah, well, why don't I just advance it to two seconds? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And going back to the whole, like, one billion people have signed up already and, like, pre-bought this thing. Do you buy that number? <laughs> well, you know they're inf- they're inflating it. This is this is Cyberdyne. This is marketing fluff right here. But what does this app do that's so great? The movie's just like, it links everything. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and... Yeah, it's basically like, you know, Alexis. Yeah, no kidding. I don't think they sold a billion pre-sales of Alexa. Yeah, and I don't think kids are, like, opening their birthday presents with wide eyes going, Oh, Mom and Dad, you got me Siri. (laughs) Finally, I can connect my phone to my TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, to me, that was a bit of a stretch. It reminded me a little bit of, um, did you see the most uh, recent Jason Bourne movie? The one uh, that was came out a little too late. And in it, they keep talking about this social media program that's taking the world by storm. Oh, I did see that, yeah. And all they refer to it as is the social media program. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, people, the social media program is taking over. (laughs) Yeah, uh, like we said earlier, the the Skynet parable of everybody connecting everything and being connected to everything all the time, and ultimately John Connor Mm -hmm. being half man, half machine. Let's just say they're, they're... this plot has a broken nose. It is, <laughs> it's being slammed into our faces with a titanium board. Right. And the other thing about this Cyberdyne headquarters that I thought was kind of interesting is the only person who's there, because it's not totally deserted. Right. It's also populated by this Skynet hologram that just keeps chasing them around. And even though it can't harm them and they can't harm it. Yeah. They keep shooting at it to make it go away. Uh, I don't know. I thought it didn't really work. They put, they should have brought some better bombs. It was one step up from the Dennis Nedry computer screensaver in Jurassic Park going, ah, 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 throughout. It was like Jai Cartney and Amelia Clark running around shooting things while it would pop up and be like, you'll never stop us. And then they would like shoot out the uh, projector to stop it. And then it would just pop up somewhere else. Yeah, and you compare this scene, uh, and it's funny, most Terminator movies end in some 
final compound or factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it's a nice nod, but you compare this scene to uh, like the final factory in Terminator 1 where the Terminator gets crushed yep. or the steel foundry. I guess it was a steel foundry. Spark factory right. in T2, uh, which are just such iconic and awesome scenes. It doesn't compare to those at all. But even if you look at the scene in the final military base uh, from T3 or the, uh, I don't know what it was, a slave compound or a processing plant yeah. uh, from from Terminator Salvation, uh, neither of which were as strong as the first two movies. And it, it just doesn't hold up. It's just not as good. Well, like, I feel like this one's also inferior to Salvation because Salvation, it really looked like a real practical set. Whereas a lot of this one looks like they built a section of it and put up green screens around the rest of it. Yeah, and and this is where I think... I was talking about earlier how at the beginning uh, I really liked the CG. Mm -hmm. Uh, This spot and a couple earlier spots in the movie where you're dealing with the actual endoskeleton fighting and with the nanobots fighting. Yeah. um, it, It just... This is where I think the CG looks kind of weak in the hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, it's not a very memorable fight, and it doesn't have a really exciting resolution. You know, you look at that takedown of the T-1000, like, that's incredible. We weren't crazy about the TX takedown with the magnets and stuff like that. Like, that was kind of weak. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you go back to the original Terminator, it had some... um, It had a little bit of janky stop-motion stuff that that took away that we could have... You know, if we'd been watching that in 1984, maybe we would have had the same complaints. Sure. Um, But, like, the way this one resolves with, like, the big swirl of CG and, like, these two characters floating around in a circle, it's, like, not the most exciting to watch. No, and it also doesn't make a lot of sense where they're just, like, oh, the Terminator's got to go into... A quantum field mm-hmm. with some other robot, I guess. Um, whereas, you know, you're like, okay, you have to kind of trust the filmmaker yeah. to have that work, as opposed to, yeah, let's throw this thing into a vat of molten metal. I mean, right? Sure. I mean, that's what I'd do. Right. And the fact that like the Arnold character can get hurled out of this quantum field <laughs> and uh, become a T1000, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I remember rolling my eyes in theaters. And to me, that is the worst, like, like fan geek moment where they're just, like, pandering to fans of, like, what if Arnold was a T-1000? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I will say is they didn't do a horrible job explaining it, but as soon as Arnold walks in and they're like, oh, is this poly alloy metal or poly metal alloy? I'm not sure which one. Uh, is it dangerous? And he's like, no, it needs a CPU <laughs> in order to work. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure that's not how... Like, if I threw my laptop in there, <laughs> it, it wouldn't become... It wouldn't become, like, a MacBook monster. Well, that's why you're broke, is because you're always throwing your laptops into molten metal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Next time, I'll have to buy the warranty. <laughs> <laughs> Too cheap to buy the warranty. <laughs> yeah. You're like, who needs warranties when I got my own T-1000? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... So th- this last bit didn't really work. I don't think it was, like, I, I don't want to sell it short. I mean, it wasn't totally horrible in the in the context of the movie. Like, No, it's not like a train wreck ending or anything. It was, it was serviceable. You're like, we're going here. We meet the bad guy. We set up the bombs. We almost die. And then we barely escape. Right. Um, 
but I mean, we're not breaking any new ground here. You made me laugh so hard, though. There was a part where the huge explosion goes off. It's tearing apart everything. Like the CG artists have gone to town in creating it, the biggest explosion known to it's, man. It's blowing apart like six concrete and steel buildings like <laughs> from a wide angle shot but you somehow have this moment where kyle reese is like holding a door closed and stopping the explosion <laughs> and you said that is one strong door <laughs> yeah. yeah one of the strongest doors out there yeah and it's just kind of like a it, i would be very curious to look at the script that they shot with to really explain what uh, Sarah and uh, Kyle Reese are doing in this whole last action sequence that's that interesting. Because if you don't have all the characters doing something interesting in your big action sequences, it just isn't a great sequence. <laughs> and most of it is just them running around looking for places to plant bombs and sniping at these um, projections of Skynet. Yeah, now that you say it out loud, it's almost like the synopsis for a video game level or something like that. Right, yeah, yeah. So, we really got to talk about Schwarzenegger. We always like to kind of have our own little section where we break down the Schwarzenegger of it all. What did you think of Schwarzenegger's return to the Terminator role? I'm a big fan of the idea of him playing the aged, like, father figure Terminator. I actually hated the idea when they first pitched it, you know, before the movie came out. I rolled my eyes. But when I actually saw the movie, I did like it. Yeah, I, I gotta say, and I, I hopefully it's not because of any kind of bias that I would have on an Arnie Geddon podcast uh schwarzenegger is definitely the best part of this movie yeah you know he really works uh he's older he's a little bit more beaten up i think several times in the movie he says some version of i'm, I'm old but i'm not obsolete right but i think his one-liners really work i think his uh fake smiling yeah really works and he's kind of back and he's badass and he's uh you get the impression that this movie, what didn't work, it wasn't because of Schwarzenegger. It did feel like they toned down the cartoonishness quite a bit, too, from Terminator 3. Yeah, absolutely. Which was something we weren't crazy about. Like, we liked that movie, but there was two things it did that uh, annoyed us, which was a lot of, like, playing it too big and silly, but also just having that character be an exposition machine. One of those things was was resolved in this movie. The other, <laughs> yeah. not so much. Yeah, my, my favorite part was where he's explaining time travel. Yeah, uh, and uh, and it, it was like watching an episode of Star Trek, which I'm sure you're aware of, where you just it was <laughs> like a solid 45 seconds of techno babble, where you're like falling asleep with your eyes open. Yeah, to the yeah. point where um, uh, Amelia Clark's character. Uh, actually turned to him and said, well, well, that clears a lot of that up. And then we just kind of continued on with the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, the Schwarzenegger performance is good, but I do think it's very noticeably backgrounded in the movie. Like, it really does feel, in terms of screen time, that uh, uh, Amelia Clark and Jai Courtney get the lion's share of the screen time. Like For sure. Arnold often feels relegated to more of a supporting character, even though he's top billing. I think the movie, honestly, would have been better, I think. If you cut the Kyle Reese character and you just had Amelia Clark and Arnold Schwarzenegger as like this father-daughter team. Yeah, that's a good point. Or why not bring in Kyle Reese for the uh, one romance scene that he's really needed for as far as humanity's fate's concerned. Right. And then, uh, you know, get rid of him and let's see what happens uh, to Sarah Connor when she's got... Uh, a baby in her belly and a Terminator at her side. Although she doesn't have to follow that fate in this alternate timeline, right? No, absolutely. That's true. I did like the part, though, where she's in 2017 and John Connor, you know, now the adult Terminator, comes to visit her. 
And she's like, that's my son. And I'm like, wait a second. If you and Jai Courtney are having this kid in 2017, he's going to be pretty young by the time that point rolls around. It's not going to be Jason Clark's age. Yeah, he'll have to be some kind of a prodigy or something like that. I guess so. It's like the Doogie Hauser of uh, leaders. <laughs> yeah, like I was kind of like scratching my head over that time paradox, but Terminator's all about weird time paradoxes. Well, at least this one is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be the sequel, Terminator Time Paradox. Yeah, it's like if you were going to a time paradox restaurant and you ordered the time paradox special and you're like, oh, and, and would you mind adding a side of time paradox with that? And uh, maybe a little bit of time paradox sauce. And um, <laughs> Or I'll, you just look at the menu and go, I'll take one of everything. Yeah, yeah. I'll have half uh, fries. Uh, no, I'll, I'll take time paradox, please. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I would have liked to have seen a little more Schwarzenegger, but I do think he's capable in the action scenes. He gets some good lines. The smiling bit is kind of fun. It's a little bit of a repeat of Terminator 3, but it's still kind of fun. And uh, it doesn't feel like it's kind of embarrassing the character the way that T3 sometimes walked right up to the line to. Yeah, like I say, if there's a problem with this movie, it's not Schwarzenegger. He embodies the role of the Terminator pretty well i mean the terminator is as much his creation i think as it is um james cameron or for that matter any of the other directors that have helmed it with a lesser success sure but schwarzenegger knows this character and he knows this franchise and uh it's, it's actually hard to imagine him kind of doing something very wrong with this character right yeah so um what did you think of the idea of in a weird way, making this the Kyle Reese story, where he has the opening narration, he has the closing narration, and he's the one that gets the heartfelt moment at the end, talking to his young self about a message that he must, you know, remember. It's kind of weird, because I feel like this is the character the audience cares the least about. Yeah, no, it's a shame that it wasn't uh, uh, a 1980s Michael Bean delivering these lines rather than Jai Courtney. Yeah. Um because I cared about Michael Bean's character. I, I don't really care about Jai Courtney's Coyotes. Yeah, no, that's true. There is a funny moment, though, that uh, we skipped over, but where they're in the police station and they bring in this kid with his parents. And the young Kyle Reese? The young Kyle Reese, because they have matching fingerprints, right? And the kid looks at Jai Courtney and looks at his schlumpy suburban dad and is like, You two look alike. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, What? In what world do these two look alike? In this world, I guess. But I will say that closing scene with uh, Kyle Reese, old Kyle Reese, explaining to young Kyle Reese that what he has to remember is Skynet is Genesis. Yeah. As far as I know, this young Reese has never seen this guy before in his life. He's just like... <laughs> uh, well, he did see him through a window. Yeah, he's like a 20-something, 30-something dude yeah. uh, coming up to his house and... Just saying, uh, I'm going to tell you something, Skynet is Genesis. And the kid's <laughs> like, okay, sure, I'll remember that. Stranger danger, stranger danger. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, J.K. Simmons is in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, we would be remiss not to mention J.K. Simmons playing what should have been played by Earl Bowen, really. Right, he plays O'Brien, <laughs> not O'Bowen. <laughs> who is a police officer that we see as a young officer uh, early in the movie, and then it's the older version later in the movie who has this theory about cyborgs from the future. Tony, how much more fun is this movie if it's uh, the um, um, Sarah Connor character teamed up with his character for the movie? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I love J.K. Simmons. I think yeah. I think a lot of people do. They kind of team up for a little bit. But imagine if he's the out, like the audience character. He's the one that gets brought into this story. It would have been nice to have seen some more of him because he's pretty fun. Sure. Uh, but he's in there enough. I mean, he helps him escape from yeah, I guess. prison. It just, he, it just feels like he's so much more charismatic and fun than Jay Courtney. I think he would have been a better male lead. I, he probably can't crawl and run the way Jay Courtney can. CG. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen it nonetheless. I think that would have been... You see, I think that's the thing. They need to think outside the box for some of these Terminator movies. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But with, you think with all the recastings of this character... We've talked about him before on... At least uh, our Terminator 1, 2, and 3 episode. And I would be surprised if we hadn't mentioned him in our uh, Salvation episode. Uh, with all of these recastings that are going on. With uh, Jason Clark as John Connor. Amelia Clark as Sarah Connor. Um, Jai Courtney as Kyle Reese. And even having uh, Courtney Vance as Miles Dyson. With his son Danny Dyson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There. I think that uh, Dr. Silberman, uh, the, the yeah. psychologist from the first three movies, is such an integral part of the Terminator universe that you've got J.K. Simmons, who who in some ways kind of looks like Dr. Silberman. Right. Um, you know, why do you have him playing a cop here? Why not having that character recast as J.K. Simmons? Or for that matter, why not have... Uh, Earl Bowen, at least standing in the background, uh, looking surprised or something like that. I think that would have been a nice touch. Should this have been a, a uh, Earl Bowen co-starring vehicle? <laughs> I think what we need is an Earl Bowen, Dr. Silberman spinoff. I am all for that. Right after my uh, Constructionator spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> Studios, are you listening? Are you getting our letters? Okay. <laughs> Whichever studio owns the rights to it right now. <laughs> so did you have any other thoughts on uh, Terminator Genesis before we wrap it up? Yeah, I did. I, I wanted to... I mean, we've talked a little bit about the different characterization of the characters... Um, especially Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor. Uh, I think in this movie it would be a shame not to talk a little bit about the characterization of the various actors who played John Connor. Right. Uh, I mean, do you have any kind of preference? I mean, we've seen Ed Furlong in T2, Nick Stahl in T3, uh, Christian Bale in Salvation, and now Jason Clark. And again, he may have been in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I don't know. And there was some... Other minor John Connors. There's a baby John Connor. In There's one. also the guy in the first one who's just seen like in one shot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I mean, of these kind of four main John Connor actors, um, how do you think they stack up? Okay, so like my ranking here. Um, I don't know about a ranking, but just okay. Like, if you want to rank them, rank them. But yeah, just... you know what? I will rank them. Okay, I think Edward Furlong is the best, but he also has the most fun role to play. So, like, he gets to do all the fun, quippy stuff. He gets to have the most, like, thought-out emotional journey over the movie. So he really does get the plum roll out of all these other John Connors. So he's at number one. Now, number two is tough because these are such a boring roles to play. Like, John Connor is, the, as I've said, the most thankless role in Hollywood. <laughs> and yet they only want to sign up top-notch actors. They actually wanted Tom Hardy to play this role, you know, for this movie. Yeah, um, that would have been interesting, actually. Sure, and he was smart enough to do Mad Max instead. <laughs> yeah, good, good move, Tom. <laughs> but second place, I think I would give... Oh, boy. Um, I think Nick Stahl is probably second for me. Uh, again, it's not a particularly dynamic character, 
but I feel like he had enough stuff in terms of his camaraderie with Schwarzenegger for me to go like, yeah, he was fine. Third place, Christian Bale. Now, Christian Bale, <laughs> I like as an actor probably more than any of the others, but he did not feel that engaged in Salvation. He just felt gruff and humorless throughout. Yeah, it was like a Batman Judgment Day. Right. Whereas Jason Clark, he just seems a little bit sleazy. <laughs> like, he doesn't seem like an inspirational leader that I would want to follow. Well, he does give that, you know, Henry V speech, sure. basically. Yeah, yeah. But, and then he turns into, like, Richard III. Yeah. <laughs> but some Shakespeare humor in our Schwarzenegger podcast <laughs> Yeah, here. nothing but yucks here on Arnie Again. <laughs> but, yeah, like, to me, this John Connor just never really works. Like, I think you really have to sell him a lot up front so that we really care when he's corrupted by this Skynet program. I don't think it works. Mm-hmm. So he's my fourth place, the weakest, because he's the least effective at what he has to do. Mm-hmm. What about you? Well, I think you've summed up maybe the the actors uh, pretty well. I, th- I think if you look at the characters in the movies, um, it's probably pretty similar, actually, in order. Yeah. A- and that might have something to do with it, too, where Ed Furlong actually has something to do. He's like kind of the mm-hmm. both a character and a MacGuffin yeah. in-, in the film. Uh, Nick Stahl, I mean, we talked about it on our T3 episode, does a pretty good job. I think he brings a kind of a level of emotion especially acting next to claire danes that's believable the problem in that movie is he just has nothing to do he also has to play like confused young man which is a little more compelling than just like gruff military dude yeah and then christian bale exactly he's just uh you know mr no fun right which is you know are you talking about the actor or the character (laughs) (laughs) well on the set of t3 or of salvation rather and then uh yeah and then jason clark's john connor is just such a such a weird character uh he seems like he could be like a serial killer even before he's taken (laughs) over by skynet (laughs) yeah well exactly um okay well i mean yeah i mean that that sounds about right i'm i'm in agreement with you more or less there uh, the other thing I just wanted to touch on before we go is the the overall aesthetic of this movie. Uh, we're, and it's one of the things that I noticed when I was watching is we're jumping around from timeline to timeline to timeline. And we do get some kind of retro nods. We get the cool Nike shoes in 1984. Mm-hmm. And then we get the future war that we always wanted to see but, but never really did in right. Salvation or uh, the other Terminator flash forwards i guess Mm -hmm. although they all did a good job in their own way but i don't know what about you but in each of these timelines uh i found them almost kind of anachronistic right like i don't know why they were jumping back and forth in these timelines except as these convoluted plot devices like they go to 1984 they basically reshoot shot for shot the opening scenes of terminator throw some terminator 2 in there while while they're at it and then it doesn't really look like 1984. Like, you go back yeah. and you watch The Terminator. It would have been fun if they'd, like, juggled film stocks or something. Yeah, apparently that's one of the reasons why they, they reshot. One, they didn't have the rights to yeah. the footage. And two, the, the the level of grain on the film stock just wouldn't have worked in the movie. Right. And then same thing. You go to 2017 and it's got, like, kind of, like, that modern movie, uh, the future of the present look where... That kind of, like... Like, really synthetic sheen to everything. Yeah, where you're just kind of like, okay, yeah, things are much more futuristic now and much more technologically advanced now Mm -hmm. than they were in 1984. 
but we don't have like polymetal alloys right. in, in big vats with uh, you know T one thousand mannequins coming out. We don't have holograms running around our, our corporate headquarters. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and, and things just had, kind of have like um, a look of not so much the present, but you know what the present thinks the future will look like in twenty years. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I thought it was like a very conflicted aesthetic in the movie. And it hasn't aged well. Because <laughs> in like 2015, <laughs> when they're talking about this killer app that's going to send the world crazy, well, now we're looking back four years back and being like, this seems really goofy. <laughs> they probably should have aimed it for a little further into the future. Like, maybe say, I don't know, 2026 or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just far enough that we go, well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny, right? You look at a movie like this, which... Um, they threw what 150 million at. Uh, yeah, 155. Yeah. And again, it's not a horrible movie, uh, at least by my standards. Some people obviously did think it was a horrible movie. And then you compare that next to like James Cameron's original Terminator, yeah, and just how much suspense and action and energy you had on just a shoestring mm-hmm. budget, mm-hmm. or maybe not totally shoestring, but a fairly low budget film, right. and. And just how much of a better movie that one is than this one. Yeah. And it's it's kind of hard to think about, really. <laughs> Sometimes you just can't go home again. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Okay, well, let's uh, bid adieu to Terminator Genesis. What are your final thoughts? Again, I think that this movie is not without its problems. Uh, I think that the Terminator franchise, though, has a little bit of baggage. I think that this movie had been released standing on its, its own two... Uh, uh, alloyed legs um <laughs> maybe people maybe critics would have been a little bit kinder to it because yeah i can see it as a maybe a two star movie or a three star movie um but you know giving it a one or a zero just seems needlessly harsh and i think it's just unfairly holding it up next to the masterworks that were the the first two and to a lesser extent uh T3 and Salvation, which is not really fair. It, it was an enjoyable movie, um, and I can see it being a disappointment if you were expecting it to be uh, another Terminator 2. But uh, after all of the negative press, I mean, I, I was watching it today for the first time, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's really not as bad as people have made it out to be. Yeah, like I do think it is the epitome of a two-star movie, where like there's some fun little bits in there. Uh, Schwarzenegger's really enjoyable in it in you know his limited screen time but it's just kind of dragged down by a script that has that problem of blockbuster bloat you see a lot nowadays where it's just like it's not telling a story so much as just throwing a lot of incidents all together and just being like see a lot's happening that's your story whereas like James Cameron told stories and like it also has this kind of you know, that sheen of these modern blockbusters where it's just like, throw a lot of CG, throw a lot of money at it, don't put that much artfulness into its compositions or anything like that, and uh, it's good enough. If you throw enough money at it, people will go see it. And, you know, we saw the same thing this very same year in 2015 with Jurassic World. People loved that one, and I thought it was about as bad as Terminator Genesis. I don't think there's a big difference in quality. But, uh, yeah, I'm just not a fan of this one. I don't think it's a crime that we didn't get a sequel. I don't know that necessarily a sequel would have improved on things. And I guess at the time that we're recording it, I mean, it does uh, make me very eager to to see what they're going to do with Dark Fate, whether that's going to be 
uh, an improvement over this one, more of the same, or, <laughs> or hopefully not uh, worse. Well, Tony, I think on that note, that wraps us up for Terminator Genesis. But uh, hey, what are we doing next time? Funny you should ask, Cam. There's a little movie coming out, a little motion picture called Terminator Dark Fate. Uh, Schwarzenegger's taking the helm again as the Model 101. Uh, Linda Hamilton is going to do her absolute best, I'm sure, to uh, take the Sarah Connor mantle back from Amelia Clark. Uh, <laughs> the audience has already handed it back to her. Uh, I can't wait. I mean, this is the first genuine, honest-to-goodness, marquee uh, Schwarzenegger picture that we've seen in years. Yeah, I'm genuinely excited to see this. I want to see what Schwarzenegger does with the role because it looks like they're doing something a little different. So this is very exciting to me. I think, you know, the trailers have left me not underwhelmed, but just whelmed. But I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping it'll go above and beyond. So I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, here's it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, here's fingers crossed. That's right. Okay, you can, of course, reach us by email at arnigenpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at arnigenpod. Tony, how do they get hold of you? You can find me, uh, Tony G at arnigen.com. That's Tony like the name, G like the letter, at arnigen.com. If you get tired of your streaming service, feel free to download us direct from the source at www.arnigeddon.com. Okay, and please leave any reviews for us wherever you get your podcasts. They are much appreciated. And uh, you can, of course, find me on Twitter at Cam B as in very busy writing the Constructionator spinoff, Smith. <laughs> you say so, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll be back with Terminator... Dark Fate.